You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Well, time is of the essence, and we have been studying through the book of Exodus, and as we started this back on January 2nd, uh, we have made some progress by this point. The book of Exodus starts with the Israelites uh, bound up in oppression. They're under the, uh, they're in slavery under the thumb of the Pharaoh. And uh, so we see this progression of the people of God. At the same time, we're seeing Moses' story kind of unfold. And we've seen a transformation in Moses. And not only has Moses been highlighted, but Pharaoh has been highlighted as well. And where Moses has seen transformation, uh, Pharaoh has hardened his heart. And over the last several weeks, we've talked about that. And, uh, and we've, we've seen uh, that, that God is moving, but his heart was hardened. We talked about disappointment a couple weeks ago. And I just want to say, if you missed two Sundays ago, it's the one message that I've had more feedback on uh, in the last uh, 24 months or so, in the last two years. And uh, I've I just continue to have people share saying, hey, that message was really meaningful. And I want to encourage you. We talked about uh, what happens when we're disappointed with God. And, uh, and certainly uh, that was a powerful message. And then last week we talked about God's judgment and his mercy, how those work through the plagues. We talked about the first nine plagues three sets of three, how they increased in intensity. And the warning was that we needed to pay attention to what God is doing and what God has called us to do. And when God calls us to obey, how many know partial obedience or selective obedience is not obedience? And that's a hard message. That was, last week was a tough one for me, uh, but I know that it's so important for us to realize we cannot pick and choose the things we want to follow God in. We need to follow Him to, our, to the best of our ability. And what we've been doing, we've been watching God lead Moses and his people the Israelites. And I want you to turn in your copy of the ESV study journal if you've got one with you. Uh, if you don't have one of these or haven't grabbed one, we've got extra copies in the, uh, at the Connection Center. Literally, you can get up right now and go get one. It's so important to be following along because what it does is it takes your, your study, your pre-study. You can make notes in pre-study. Then you can take notes from the message. And this is going to become a treasure to you. But on page 26, for those of you that haven't done so already, this is page 26, I want you to write this. This is God speaking to us. If God were to speak to us this morning and say, this is what Exodus is all about, he would say, I am the living God and I care for my people. And I've got it circled in my, in my Bible and uh, it's Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. And, uh, and I just want to encourage you to write that in. And so far for the Israelites, we've, they were found in this place of crisis, but God meets them. God sees them through the storm, and they see God's mighty hand through the miraculous plagues over and over. And the truth is, and I, you got you to hear this early on, that God, 
the Yahweh God, the I am God, the one that Pastor Bobby was talking about, the one that Jamie, through the word of God, was talking about. Yahweh God, he is the same God that leads us. Amen? And today, we're going to move on to the Exodus 11, 12, and 13. It arguably is the most significant event in all of the Old Testament, maybe outside of the creation. You can put Noah's Ark and David and Goliath or Daniel and the lion's den, which are all incredible stories, but they don't hold the weight against the Exodus. And we found our spot at, here at the Exodus. In fact, on page 58, uh, if you want to mark it in your uh, ESV study journal, turn there, and that is where the Exodus kind of lands and where we see slaves being set free. And we see the Old Testament picture of what Jesus would do and what he would be for us. And as we grow in our faith, and as we're journeying through the book of Exodus, it's critical for us to understand today what is happening in these three chapters, and the, the theologically, but then also practically with application. And so hopefully you have pre-read Exodus 11, 12, and 13, and if you haven't, uh, hopefully you're familiar with the story. Otherwise, this will uh, be less meaningful. Uh, but next week, by the way, we're going to be in chapter 14 and 15. Next time, we're looking at Exodus. But today, let's start with Exodus chapter 11. Exodus chapter 11 deals with the 10th plague being threatened to Egypt. And uh, turn with me to page 50, uh, to Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, and the Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague. I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. He will let you go. He will drive you away completely. So the children of Israel and the Egyptian people have witnessed nine plagues so far. And God is saying there's one more. If you follow it along, uh, a couple verses below, uh, verse 4, now Moses is talking with Pharaoh. says, so Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Let me pause there for a second. That proclamation would have been hard to imagine. Think about experiencing that. One night, great confusion. Death would visit Egypt with one last plague to deliver one last blow to the proud leader, to Pharaoh. And Moses has heard from God at this point, and now he's sharing with Pharaoh one more time. Moses warns Pharaoh, and God is essentially saying, this evil, this oppressive, idolatrous system of government, being Egypt, must come to an end. And that's what we see happen over these pages that we've pre-read or that we're familiar with the story. But I've, as I've read this and over the years, and maybe you've asked the question, why the firstborn? How many have ever wondered, why would God kill all 
the firstborn. Well, go back with me to page 20, to Exodus chapter 4. Uh, we didn't see this when we first went through, but to this week in study, I, I, I was brought aware of this, that God had actually talked about this with Moses and with Pharaoh. Look what it says. This is, it says in verse 22, uh, chapter 4, 22, it says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Isn't that interesting? That chapters before, days before, maybe seasons before, uh, before, God had already spoken and given a promise saying, look, let my people go. If not, I will take your firstborn because Israel is my firstborn. So what's interesting about this is that all the nine plagues were warning signs of God's greater judgment that was coming. And so it was really a sign of mercy, but of course was not uh, responded to by Pharaoh. And I just want you to know that if you're asking why the firstborn, why all the death, all the destruction, God, with God, there is no delight in the death of the wicked, period. You can't see that in Scripture. There's verses that talk about that. But there is the importance of the firstborn and why God did that. Well, the firstborn would carry the family name oftentimes. The firstborn would, would, son in Egypt in particular was considered to be sacred. And when it came to Pharaoh and his firstborn son, uh, he would have been the one who would have taken over the throne. And so this was a huge, huge deal. And in this plague, this one that was prophesied that would come, that, that Moses was sharing with, with Pharaoh, it was going to affect Egypt and all of the Israelites as well. Uh, both would be affected. God was revealing his power and fulfilling the promise to deliver his people. And we see that unfold in the 10th plague, the taking of the first son. That this one night, it would mark the inauguration of what we know as what we call the Passover. Israel's first national feast. And that's where we're going to focus our attention today, is on this Passover. The Passover was so significant that it became the new calendar date. They changed the whole way they kept time uh, for, for the Israelites. And everything was hinged off of the Passover. And it is a powerful story. If you haven't read it, you need to read it this week after today's message for sure. And the power of the story, though, when we look at this, is not in the miracles of the plagues, although that is incredible of what God had done. The power is not in the exodus of nearly or maybe even over two million people leaving Egypt and heading into the wilderness and ultimately to the promised land, which we'll see over the next uh, month or so. The power is actually seen in what we call typology, how the story parallels the New Testament, the gospel story of Jesus, our Savior. 
And that's what we're going to see today. The Passover marked a new beginning for the Jewish people. It bound them together as a nation. And if you break it down, the Passover, we're going to talk about three ideas. The Passover lamb, the Passover blood, and then the Passover meal. And so let's look at the Passover lamb at first. When we look at the Passover and the story of the Passover, it's all about the lamb at first. The focus was on the lamb. In fact, in Exodus chapter 12, page 56 here, it says this in uh, Exodus 12, 3 through 6. It says, tell the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a what? A lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. So one lamb, one household. And if the household was too small for the lamb, he would then go but to his nearest neighbor. They shall take according to the number of the persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. And then in verse 5, I've got it circled in my preaching notes. I have it circled in my Bible. You should circle it as well. It says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall, circle this part too, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. What are we seeing here? First of all, we're seeing a lamb without blemish, a perfect lamb. How many animal lovers do we have in the room, all right? Any animal lovers, right? When you love an animal, maybe you love your dogs or, or things like that, if you have a purebred, like a spotless dog, that, a dog that's perfection, right, that has a high value. The same is true here with a perfect lamb. And then it says that you would kill at twilight. So not only do we see a perfect lamb, we see a perfect sacrifice. And attack the people, it said that they they would bring them into the home for 14 days. The stories around that is that the family would get to know this lamb, almost like you're bringing in a new puppy, and the, the puppy would become part of the family, probably would name the lamb. And then you'd say, that it says over and over in this passage, the children will ask, why do we have to kill the lamb? Well, there was a sadness with the loss of life over sin and over the lamb. What does that remind us of? It reminds me of the story back in Genesis chapter 22, verse 7. You can write that in on the, on the notes where Abraham is with Isaac, right? And Abraham has been uh, commissioned to kill his own son. And Isaac, they're up on the way almost to the place where the sacrifice would happen. And Isaac is the one who actually asks the question, where is the lamb? Well, that introduces a theme as the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, as God's people waited for the Messiah. If you fast forward to the New Testament, that question is answered by John the Baptist. John chapter 1, verse 29. Let's look at it. It says, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. Church, the point is that the Lamb is a picture of Jesus. Within the Exodus, there's this visible sign that Jesus is the Passover Lamb. 
Can I get an amen? If you haven't written that in your journal yet, you need to do so. The spotless lamb without sin. Jesus is the Passover lamb. So what happens? Fast forward to page 54, uh, Exodus 12, verse 21. It says, Then Moses called the elders of of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans, according to your household, and kill the Passover lamb. So you say, all right, we've got these lambs. Why do the lambs have to die? Well, it's the Passover lamb, and that moves into our second connection, the Passover blood. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 7, page 52, it says this, then they shall take some of the blood, everyone say the blood, and put it on the doorpost and the lentil of the houses in which they will eat it. Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, a few verses later, it says, The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And then one last verse here, 1222, it says, Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch it on the lintel and the two doorposts within the, with, with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. What is this talking about? It's talking about the blood that was shed by these lambs. It's the covering of blood. What's happening here? What's happening is that when people would look up at the blood, they would see the blood instead of the judgment of God. And when God looked down, he would see the blood instead of the sinners deserving judgment. That's a powerful thought. Their sin was covered by blood. And same happens for us. Israel and the Egyptians were both passed over. What was the difference? It was the blood. In order to escape judgment, there had to be the shedding of blood. What does that remind us of, church? If you've been in church, you've heard this before. It's a picture of Jesus and his work. Write in your, uh, in your journals, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. It says this, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And then it says this, this is so big, And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So that means it doesn't matter how good you are, how many times you've helped the old lady across the street and across the icy parking lot. It doesn't matter how much money you've given or how many times you've showed up to serve or how many times you've been to church. It doesn't matter any of that. It really begs the question, how are we going to deal with our sin? Because here, their sin was covered by the blood. And the same is true for us. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've heard that verse. But then it goes on and says, And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His what? By His blood. 
to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because he, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. So we see the Passover lamb. We see this Passover blood. And in these three chapters, 11, 12, and 13, we see one more piece, the Passover meal. Exodus chapter 12, verse 7 through 11, page 52, verse 7, we've already read it, but I'll reread it. It says, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they'll eat it. And then it talks about this meal that's about to happen. Verse 8, it says, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with the unleavened bread, with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw, and do not boil it in water, but roast it, its head and with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains till the morning shall be burned. In this manner, verse 11, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. In other words, in a hurry. This is the Lord's Passover. There's an urgency here. There's a readiness to go. The people of Israel are about to be released out of Egypt and out of the the hand of Pharaoh. And over the next page, uh, Exodus 12, 14 through 20, there are more things that are said about the Passover meal, that it would take seven days of preparation, the unleavened bread. There's be no work to be done other than the preparation for the meal. And it says in verse 17, you might want to circle or highlight it, that that this was going to become a tradition That every year, the Passover would be celebrated. It it says a new statue would be uh, created forever. And then on page 58, verses 43 through 49, you can look at these and write this down. It talks about that there would be no foreigners that would participate in the Passover. Slaves were okay only if they had been circumcised. They would eat it together. It was a community meal. And there would be to be no broken bones for the lamb, which again is a picture of Jesus. And then it ends, Exodus 12, verse 50 and 51 on page 59. It says this, all the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people out of Israel, the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. This is it right there. God moved the people. Two million people moved. And it became an annual feast of unleavened bread. It's an incredible story. But as I was reading this, there was something that leapt out to me. Seven times within these two, actually only chapter 12 and 13, seven times it mentions that this story would be told for generations and generations and generations. We are told to remember this story. It's not just another meal. It's a feast with a meaning. And they were to remember and to share the testimony of what God had done. And this morning, I want to just 
and challenge us that every single one of us here have a story of what God has done, what God is doing. And this morning, we're going to hear from one of our own, a story from Kayla Richards. And it's an incredible story. Starts as a story of brokenness and loss and hurt. But by the end of her story, you're going to see that things change. And God does an incredible work in her and Daniel's life. And I'm so proud of you guys. I had the chance to mentor Daniel uh, last year, part of the mentor program. And it was an absolute joy. And Kayla says something. that She says, without Jesus, she would not be here. And the truth is, that's all of our stories. And without further ado... Let's check out Kayla Richards' story. My name's Kayla Richards. I just don't know where to begin. I guess I'll start with my childhood. I was in foster care when growing up as a child. Um, I lived with family though, so it wasn't. It wasn't. I didn't think it was as bad. Um, so, in was it '95? I gave, or maybe it was '97. I have it in my Bible. Um, I gave my life to the Lord, and then once I became a teenager, uh, I started dabbling in marijuana and hanging out with the wrong crowd. In 2014 is when my addiction really started getting bad. I was into crystal meth and uh, IV, and... um, it was a very low, dark place in my life. Um, I ended up becoming pregnant, and in 2015 I had an abortion because at that time I thought that's what I needed. 2016 I got pregnant again. I, I was still in addiction. Um, the whole time throughout my life I've always felt like there was something protecting me. I don't know how to explain it, but I just always felt like something was with me. Um, And in 2017, I ended up getting pulled over um, and confessing everything to the cop. Um, And that's how I got my two felony charges. Um, I went to jail for a month and I told the judge, I said, if you lower my bond, I will get out and go to rehab. And so he lowered my bond. That weekend I went to rehab and um, I ended up giving that baby up for adoption because I couldn't go through with another abortion. It, I think that's really what really what made me go harder into addiction. I, I just, I knew abortion wasn't, I couldn't go through that. So. We gave her up for adoption, and then I found out I was pregnant again, and we decided to keep her because we were at a different stage in life. We graduated Hope House. Um, we were on the right track. Uh, we were, you know, living for the Lord, um, and then we got our own place. And um, the enemy likes to tell you lies, and um, he said, oh, just one time, you know, one time won't hurt. Well, it, um, it sucked the life out of us again, and I 
ended up telling a bunch of our support group, you know, we relapsed and I'm not sure what to do and eventually enough support system uh, found out and someone, uh, CPS came to the door and they said, do you know why we're here? And I'm like, yeah, I know, said I'm um, battling with addiction and the only way I knew how to help was to reach out to my support system and it was like a weight off my shoulder and answer prayer because I remember sitting in the bedroom um, and just crying out to God like, God, this is not the life you wanted. I know it's not the life you wanted us to have and so when that CPS lady came in it was like an answer prayer. I just I was so grateful that the Lord knew that's what we needed at that time and we got clean and got back on track and now uh, we uh, do devotions daily and in the morning and at night we pray. If we if we don't pray, our daughter will remind us, you know, like, well, we gotta pray, we gotta pray. And I just wanna say, uh, if you're stuck and you're defeated, there is hope. Just look to Jesus and he will answer your prayers. I thank God he did. Uh, come on. <laughs> Kayla, thank you for doing that. That was a long time coming. We've been wanting to share, give you an opportunity to share, and it's remarkable. And uh, I think off camera, maybe it didn't make the, the clip, but when you said, uh, without Jesus, you wouldn't be here, and that just really stuck with me. And I love that this is a story that you will be able to share, and generations will share similar to the way the Passover was shared and reshared and that we would remember. Church, we're talking about the lamb, the blood, this Passover meal. The most important thing here is that this meal would be remembered. It's a testimony. And it pointed to Jesus and his sacrifice. This whole exodus is about Jesus. And through Jesus' death was the fulfillment of all the lambs slain to save the people of Israel. So it's Jesus, the Passover lamb. It's Jesus, his blood that covers. It's Jesus that we get to participate in the death and the resurrection uh, that he had. And for anyone who trusts in Jesus, judgment passes over. Isn't that incredible? Just like Kayla's story, they are not. She's not held held by or held uh, responsible for what has been done in the past. Her sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus, and the same thing happens for us. What's interesting, though, and I think that it's important for us to get our mind around, is that Israel participated in the first Passover. And they followed all these instructions. You can read it. It's, it's like pages long, like page after page after page of instructions. And they participated not knowing fully what was happening. Otherwise, they would have lost their firstborn. Did they understand everything? There's no way they understood everything at that moment. 
We see it clearer today. Do we ever understand everything today, though? Absolutely not. And today, I just want to say this, that faith doesn't always make sense. We do not have to wait until we understand it all, till we know it all, to give our heart to Jesus. In fact, if we do wait, we would never come to faith. None of us. If we had to wait till we understood it all, none of us would give our heart to Jesus. But this is what we do know, and it's found rooted in Scripture. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 and 10 says this, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Praise the Lord. For if we, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by this life. One more verse, you can write it down. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were ransomed, that the, or the word saved, knowing that you were saved from the feudal ways inherited from, from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Church, by Jesus dying on the cross, God was putting evil to, to, to the end, or he would stop evil once and for all. He ransomed us. He saved us. He deals with sin and with evil. And by the way, when he floods into our lives, he takes away all condemnation. There's nothing that will hold us back. Kayla, your story, Daniel, your story uh, is incredible. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't, we don't, we don't, their sin is not held against them. It doesn't come back up. No, they're free. And we are free. There's a new work that happens. And once that happens, now we can do what God has called us to do. Church, today's message is so critical. It's so critical. There's one last couple verses I want to read, and then we're going to pray. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 11 says, But, or because, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You need to write that down. Romans 10, 9. Then verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. This morning or this afternoon at this point, and I know we've gone a little long. It was a full message. There's a lot to discuss. It had lots of things going on early. But this morning or this afternoon, I believe that the Holy Spirit is stirring and he's calling us to a place of salvation. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, today is your day. There's no, no reason to delay. And I just want to offer you this free gift. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you had a relationship 
and, and now you're falling away. Maybe you've backslidden. You're saying, man, I need to come back to the Lord. In either case, if that's you and you're in the room, I want you just to raise your hand right where you are. If you need Jesus to save you today, if you've fallen away and you're coming back or you need him, yes. Thank you. Yes, sir. Right in the middle. Anyone else? I'm looking at my right. Yes. Yes, sir. I see that. Yes. Thank you, Jesus, for God, what you're doing in our lives. Anyone else? I'm looking on my left, your right. Anyone over here? Yeah. There's two that have raised their hands that I see, and I just want to talk to those that are still online tracking with us. If you're ready to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, please type it in the, in the chat. You can follow along with the prayer here in a second, but we will follow up with you. We've got some resources for you that will be very meaningful. For the sake of the two that are in the room, two men, I'm going to ask that we would all say a sinner's prayer. It's not the words of this prayer that will save you. It's your belief going back. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You will be saved, Romans 10.9. So let's do that. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, come on, let's say it all together. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for the things in my life that have been sinful. But today, I'm putting my faith in you. I believe in you, that you died on the cross. Your blood was shed for me. And I put my full weight, my full life into your hands. Help me to serve you all the days of my life. Bible says in heaven, in heaven the angels rejoice when only one, and we have two here now. And so let's stand, let's rejoice, and then Pastor Bobby's going to lead us in a song as we prepare for Holy Communion today. Hallelujah. We praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We're going to move into a time of communion. You can kind of take a second here and open these up, the top one first and then the second and have these. As you prepare to do that, I want to take you to Matthew chapter 26. If you've ever wondered that this Passover meal, it was replicated every year over and over. And Jesus would have done that as a baby or as a boy and through his adult years and even in his ministry. They were celebrating the Passover. Look at it. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered to be crucified. A little later that chapter, they're at the Last Supper, what we describe as the Last Supper. Verse 26 says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it he broke it and gave it to the disciples and he said take and eat this is my body I just want you to come to that moment these years of Passover what we just described the, is now being fulfilled and, and reinterpreted in, in, in a new way we call it the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist or Holy Communion the body first. I want you to break this and then just put it in your mouth. And then just thank the Lord for his body that was 
beaten and bruised and punished for us. It says, then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many forgiveness of sin. He redefines what Passover was from that moment forward. And the blood of the lamb that was over the doorpost that they would celebrate, his blood, Jesus' blood, would cover our sin in a similar fashion. It's incredible. Let's remember that as we partake this morning, or this afternoon. And then it finishes up. It says, I tell you, I will not drink of again of this again. I am sorry. Again, of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So we remember the sacrifice. We remember what God's done inside of us. He covers our sin. We also look forward to his coming. This meal that we've just partook in, partaken, thank you, has been remembered without interruption now for over 2,000 years. We remember the lamb that was slain. Jesus is the lamb. We remember the blood that was shed. It was Jesus' blood that was shed. We remember the Passover. Amen? With grateful hearts. Father, I just pray now that you would go before us, behind us, and all around us. God, that you would just seal this moment in our hearts. Thank you for those that responded to the salvation call, first service and second service today. God, you are at work. You're doing a great thing. And God, now I pray that you would go before us, behind us, and all around us. We give you our lives. Use us in Jesus' name. And before I let you go, there's one other thought that was in my notes that I skipped over. But I think the Lord just put it on my heart to bring it back. What we just, forgive me, what, and I didn't say this first service either, just for time's sake, but, but I feel like as we leave in this moment, what we've just understood and what we've just learned today is so critical. It's not only critical for us, but if we don't understand what, what it was, the Passover and how Jesus was the interpretation of that, we will miss the urgency to share Jesus and to share that Jesus still saves, still delivers, still brings us from dark into light. He still saves us from judgment, from penal, the penalty of death. And that is why we exist. Once you know the truth, it is our job to herald that, to let others know. Amen? And so as we leave here, you are commissioned in Jesus' name to share the story of the Exodus and what it means to you. And let's just continue to see it grow in your hearts and grow in the hearts of those around you. Amen? Amen. We love you. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.